0: you're interested in serving in any way in our worship or tech team we'd love to talk to you there'll be some folks in the back that would meet you and we could use your help we're not too far away now from moving into our new building and we're having a state-of-the-art sound system and tech put in there five words media will be there to train so this is a great time for you to come and be able to be trained to be a part of that We'd love for you to join um, in that effort. By the way, uh, we are going to move into the new building. We're still set for October. This coming Wednesday night, we're having a worship Wednesday here at 6 p.m. at the church. Those are always meaningful times for us. And then as soon as we close the worship service, we're having a town hall meeting. So we'll be bringing you up to date on the building, on the progress, answer questions that you might have. I hope you'll join us Wednesday night. Um, Remember that today after church is our connections uh, track. So if you're new to High Point and you want to learn more about us, meet some of the leaders, find out how you could get involved, then I'd invite you to hang around for about an hour after this worship service ends, have a meal with us, meet the leadership. We'd love to spend that time with you. Last thing is next Sunday morning is Mother's Day. Um, again, guys, write this down. It's Mother's Day. Next Sunday morning and next Sunday morning, we go back to one worship service. Everybody together in one worship service. Hallelujah. Next Sunday morning. So we start at 10 o'clock next Sunday. Join us at 10 for that worship service. If you got your Bibles with you, I'm going to Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to start reading there at verse 21. Genesis is a tough book to find, it's right after the table of contents. Verse 21 of the second chapter. If you didn't happen to bring your Bible with you, um, you can follow along on the screen behind me. The verses will be there. You can do it that way. Um, The Scripture says, "...So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, "...This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh." She shall be called a woman, for she was taken out of a man. This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So the pastor was in his office. The door flew open. This four-year-old girl rushed in. She was so excited. She ran around his desk, jumped up on his lap. And what she was excited about is she had just seen the movie Cinderella for the first time. Couldn't wait to tell her dad. She was breathless with excitement. She talked about the cruel stepmother and sisters and the fairy godmother and the ball and then that moment when Prince Charming puts the slipper on her foot. Then she said, And then, Daddy, do you know what happened next? And he said, Yes, honey, they lived happily ever after. And she goes, No, they got married. (laughs) Getting married and living happily ever after are rarely one and the same thing. And I bring it up because we are returning now to Until Death Do Us Part. This is a series we began right after Easter Sunday. And Jesus said this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. What he meant was, if your relationship with me is going to last, then there is something about you that has to die, and you have to be the one that executes it, and you have to do this over and over again. And I think the same is true in every relationship and certainly in marriage. If love is going to live between us, something within me has to die. And I'm the one who has to put it to death, and I have to do this over and over again. What we've been saying to you every week is that love dies between us usually because of something that we refuse to kill within us. Love dies between us because of things we refuse to kill in our own hearts so we've talked about putting to death selfish and ungodly expectations pastor mike To survive, Because they ward off the sneakiest killer of marriage relationships, and that is the disease of overcommitment. Overcommitment is the sneaky killer of marriage relationships. And the antidote to that is priority and passion. So, before we deal with priority and passion, let's spend a few minutes talking about and trying to understand this disease of overcommitment. Here's what the Scripture says. God caused the man to fall asleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord made a woman from that rib that he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She will be called a woman, for she was taken out of a man. Now, every verse, folks, in the first three chapters of Genesis is incredibly important. They're packed with profound truth. The foundations, the very foundations of human life and civilization are being explained by the author in these first three chapters of Genesis. And, knowing that that's true, it's also important to understand that the first institution that God established is marriage. The very first one that He put in place. Before He ever established the church. Before He ever gave us the Ten Commandments. Before God ever talked to us about any form of government. The first institution for humanity's uh, flourishing and survival that he created was one man and one woman in a relationship based upon a promise. And I say all that to tell you that the older I get, the more intensely that I'm feeling this, and so I talk about it often with you. When marriage breaks down, society starts to fall apart. When the marriage relationship breaks down, society itself starts to fall apart. And what that comes down to is this. Can you keep your promises? Are we the kind of people that when we say, I do, we mean it forever and we keep the promises that we've made? If you want to make a difference in this world, the most important decision that you can make is keep your promise and stay married to the person you're married to. This is where it starts. I mean, I tell you all the time, certainly certainly you should get involved in your church. And without a doubt, you should be involved in your school system and you should be active as as a citizen and and in the government. But all of those efforts are crippled if we are not the kind of people who simply can't keep our promises at home. The change that our nation needs the most fundamentally is in our living rooms, not in our boardrooms or our government rooms. So the change starts in your home. Keep your promise. Now I just think, it had to be an incredible moment for Adam. God causes him to fall asleep, creates Eve, and points Adam to her. Now just a few thoughts. These are kind of gratuitous. (laughs) But here you go. Ladies, if you ever wonder why your husband can sleep through anything, this is the biblical explanation for it right here. And guys, you need to feel free to use this stuff as an excuse. God made, made us this way, honey. Adam slept through major surgery. What do you want from me? But also... I just think that uh, the other thing that popped into my head, head is men need help finding the right woman. I thought that would get more amends than it did. Men need help finding the right woman. I know I'm opening a can of worms here and I know I'm taking great unmerited liberties with the text, but it just strikes me that God creates Eve and the text says after Adam woke up, God walked her right up to him. God brought Eve to the man. In other words, God wanted to make sure Adam didn't blow this one. God walked Eve right up to Adam. Adam, here is Eve. I mean, she's the only one, but God was still worried. And so God says, here's Eve. I made her for you. This is the one right here. Don't look anywhere else. This is the one. So I'm going to say this. All of us sons of Adam are very capable of being very stupid when it comes to women. And uh, overlooking the obvious one. So don't be afraid to help us. All of that's free, folks. All of that's gratuitous divide. <laughs> and, uh, but i got to tell you, I, I think God enjoyed this morning. Have you ever, going up to Christmas, just bought what you knew was going to be the perfect gift for your kids? I mean, you just knew it. For parents, I think Christmas is even more exciting when we get it right. And you can't wait to see your kid's expression on Christmas morning when they open the perfect gift. I think that's how God felt this morning. Adam gets up a little groggy. He's ready to go back to work. He's naming the animals. Okay, there's going to be a dog and a cat and a platypus. Whoa, man! I know that was bad. Best gift ever! And it just occurs to me. This is really how most of our relationships begin. We're just out there doing our thing and naming the animals and making our widgets or teaching or whatever it is that we do. And, and all of a sudden, somebody catches our eye. We meet someone. God brings someone to our attention. A lot of you can remember. I don't know if you do, but I do. And I'll spare you the details because my family's here and my kids are tired of hearing about this stuff. But I fell for Janelle Conley almost the minute I laid eyes on her. And I say almost because it took me a couple of seconds to stop going, oh. So, but here's, here's, the, here's what I ran up against. Eve only had one dude. I mean, Adam couldn't blow this, right? Eve only had one dude to choose from. know, had a lot of dudes to choose from. So I used to pray for God to narrow the field. I mean, it's all in your sovereign hands, God. Automobile accident, broken leg, I don't care. However you have to do it, in Jesus' name. But, um... <clears throat> He chose not to do it that way. He chose not to honor the request, but I was desperately in love and I was I was dangerously determined. And Janelle finally came to her senses and fell in love with me. And But we've all had that moment. We've all had that wonderful moment when our eyes fall on the one that we know God wants us to spend our life with and it is glorious and it is necessary. But the problem is the story that we have to live together doesn't end there. It's just starting there. When Jenny and I were dating... We went to a lot of movies, and I was still trying to impress Janelle, so I let her pick the movies that we went to, which meant I got to see a lot of romantic comedies. In fact, almost every romantic comedy from the late 80s to the early 90s, I saw them. I saw Pretty Woman, Pretty in Pink, Sleepless in Seattle, When Harry Met Sally, An Officer and a Gentleman. They are all the same movie. Come on, guys. Somebody amen me on this. They are all the same movie. They all have the same ending. Gear climbs up a fire escape with flowers. Hanks and Meg meet at the top of the Empire State Building. Gear shows up in his pressed white uniform and carries Winger out of the factory. And the problem is the story ends there, but real life starts the next day. I always wanted to see, why don't we do a remake of, you know, a year later after after gears put on 30 pounds and can't even button his pressed white jacket anymore. Let's see that movie. We're all so enamored with falling in love. Falling in love is easy. You fall, you don't even have to think about it. It just happens to you. Staying in love. Now that's an art. That takes a decision. Look at what happens. Listen. Look at it's right here in the Bible. Look what happens after Genesis chapter two. Genesis two, Adam meets Eve, and immediately on the spot he starts to recite poetry. This is now flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. You will be called woman, because you were taken from a man. And Eve is always so dreamy. Guys, women do that to you when you're trying to get them. You know, we write poetry, really bad poetry, but we do. One chapter later. The devil gets into the relationship. One chapter later, they fall together. And again, I want to remind you, every line of Genesis is loaded with truth, but I have to ask you to concentrate on this with me. When sin enters in, look how Adam starts talking about Eve. God goes looking for him. He finds them hiding from one another. And this guy who one chapter ago was saying, you are flesh of my flesh. You are bone of my bones. Now look what he says. It was that woman that you gave to me. She gave me the fruit. We ate of it. That woman, sad how that happens. One of my favorite pastors talks about how he had an intense courtship with his wife, Lisa, and they married one another with dreams of changing the world. And and then he said, fast forward ten years after our wedding day. We have three children, two in diapers. I'm involved in ministry. And and by the way, this was a while ago because he talks about every Friday night they would rent videos. For all of you kids, there used to be things called VHSs. And we, had to go to, we actually had to go to a store to rent a video. Do you remember the Dark Ages? And so he was on his way out the door to rent, rent a video. And he says to her, what, what movie do you want to watch? And she says, get romantic comedy. And he stopped. He said, I sighed. And I turned to Lisa and I said, I just can't do it. I have to see at least one building blow up. I have to see at least one car crash. And then he said, I got to thinking, when did... Please, God, change the world through us. Turn into us arguing over whether we're going to watch Arnold Schwarzenegger or Julia Roberts on a Friday night. Well, it happens. And it stuns us because we see love as an event. We see love as an event. And God sees love as a lifelong process. They, too, become one. They become one. And that's a time word. It takes time. The two become one. And that sounds romantic. Don't you just hear it and think, oh, that's so lovely. This is beautiful. They two become one. It's giving me goose pimples. Well, snap out of it. This is not romantic. And this is not easy. That's why they make you promise on the front end. We make you start off by standing in front of witnesses and God and everybody. And you have to promise for better or for worse because there's going to be a whole lot of both of those. You become one. Some of it's going to be better than you expected. Some of it's going to be worse than you expected. Marriage is going to both exceed and frustrate your expectations. I was sitting with a... With a lady in counseling one time, and she had come in to tell me that she was thinking about um, leaving her husband. They'd been together for ten or eleven years, and she had decided maybe it was a time for a divorce. And that's—it's always a difficult conversation, and one you want to help people try and think their way out of that disastrous decision. And so the question that I posed was, why? Why? are you thinking about doing that? And she said a few things, but this is how she wrapped it all up because there was no biblical reason for her to end the relationship. So this, was the, this is where she brought the plane in for a landing in the conversation. He's not the man I thought he was when I married him. I really had trouble. I really had trouble not laughing out loud. He's not the man that I thought he was when I married him. And I'm thinking, yeah... So, none of us are the man you think we are when you married us. Ladies, I'm telling you, every Prince Charming turns into a bullfrog. And guys, by the way, this is not a one-way street. Guys, I'm telling you, I'm warning you, I don't care how pretty she is, every beautiful woman eventually is going to take off her makeup and come to bed in ugly sweatpants. Ugly sweatpants. And, And I mean really, really ugly sweatpants. And you are not allowed to tell her those are ugly sweatpants. So, once we get over falling in love, what we've got to guard against is that disease that goes to work almost immediately and works against us staying in love. How do you stay in love with someone? And as I said off the top, this one is dangerous because it doesn't seem like a big deal. And listen, because it's so easy to allow it and even justify it. In fact, you'll do this. You'll fall into this and our society will tell you you're a good person for doing this. Even people in the church will pat you on the back and tell you how great a parent you are when you fall into this over-commitment. The habit that you have, the human tendency, the way we all move towards prioritizing other things and other people instead of giving one another the best that we have instead of doing that we begin to give each other the leftovers of our life leftover time leftover attention leftover energy so when God gives Eve to Adam and tells him the two will become one he also gives them these two intense directives leave and cleave leave and cleave these, these are the vaccine against the virus of overcommitment. the difference is you don't get just two shots you have to get this over and over again in your married life. It's you guys you know the shampoo directions, lather, rinse, repeat. These are the marriage directions. Leave, cleave, repeat. Leave, cleave, repeat. I think going to stamp that on your forehead right after we sign the right after we signed the, the license. Leave, cleave, repeat. And do this over and over again. That's the treatment plan. So let's talk about those two words and what they mean. Leave means prioritize your marriage. Prioritize Um, Your marriage relationship, it has to come first. Here's what God says, or the man says, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman, for she was taken out of a man. And then the explanation, This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. It's no accident that God directly addresses other relationships when He's talking about the marriage relationship other relationships war against the marriage relationship. Now I want you to understand the difficulty of that decision. The problem is, He doesn't say, you have to leave Adolf Hitler. He doesn't say you have to leave Charlie Manson or somebody like that. He says you've got to leave mother and father to cleave to one another. It creates the same court of, uh, kind of tension that, that Jesus' words created when He said this, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his father and his mother his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, even his own life. Uh, that person cannot be my disciple. Wait wait a minute. I thought our faith was supposed to make us love people, especially these people. I mean, we're talking about our family here. We're talking about our kids and our, our mom and dad. Well, listen, we all know that Jesus isn't telling us that we have to be hostile to these people. Or, or when Moses tells us that we have to leave our parents, He isn't saying that we literally abandon them. But before you breathe a sigh of relief, what they are saying is you're gonna have to make a conscious decision in your life over and over again to prioritize your marriage relationship over every other relationship humanly in your life. And that's more difficult than you think it is. It's very hard for us to understand this And, and it's one that we it's a test that we often fail because this verse shows us that our biggest temptations are not ugly. They're not nasty. They're dear to us. They matter to us. We love them, and they're important. What we put ahead of our marriage relationships are our fathers and mothers and our sons and our daughters. These are the things that we fight against. Now let me stop and say something that may sound controversial because I hate to leave uh, church any Sunday morning without saying at least one mildly controversial thing. Okay? The day that you have your first baby is one of the best days and one of the most dangerous days of your life, especially when it comes to your marriage. The day that you have your first child is one of the best days and one of the most dangerous days for your marriage. Because when that happens, another person has entered the mix. Another soul has come into the relationship. And another critical responsibility has just been laid at your feet. And also probably the greatest temptation you will ever face to prioritize someone above your marriage relationship. And we do it all the time. We prioritize our children ahead of the person we're married to constantly. We prioritize their little league games, their soccer matches, their dance recitals, their homework, their after school clubs. And the thing that drives us to do it isn't evil. It is simply a misplaced priority in our life. The enemy of what's best in your life is not evil. The enemy of what's best in your life is the multiplicity of good things that draw your attention away from one another. So here's the good things that we have to make decisions about. And we've got to be intentional about this. One of the good things I think that's happened here at High Point over the last several years, something that I'm very proud of, is the number of families that have gotten involved in the foster um, and adoption uh, care system here in Polk County. A lot of you have done that. And I think that's a, an amazing, wonderful, God-honoring thing. One of the families that did it is my nephew Adam and his wife Maggie adopted three uh, brothers and sisters. And they had, he had to leave, he's in the JAG Corps, so he had to leave the state before they could finalize the, adopt- the adoption of the youngest girl named Laylee. So Jenny and I took her into our house. She was two years old, and we agreed to keep her until they could finalize the adoption. And I'm thinking, no big deal. It's one little girl. I've raised three. I'm a pro at this. And so lately, Lou moved into our house, two years old. I forgot something. I was 50 when this happened. 50 years old when a two-year-old girl moved into my house. I thought I was going to die. Or she was... Somebody wasn't making it out of this place alive. We had that little girl for nine months, folks. Nine months. And I was tired the whole nine months. We kept her. It is no big deal. But I forgot something. I forgot that when I was raising my three, I was younger. And I forgot how much energy it takes to have a two-year-old girl in your house. Somebody say amen. Oh my gosh, one child will just wear you out. Parenting demands incredible energy. That's why they make you have them when you're young and stupid. (laughs) Let's have a baby. Oh yes. No! (laughs) But you do it. Let me show you something. Let me show you something though that happens. Before you had children... You had lots of energy and so few responsibilities. I would love to bump into people who are, who are married and have no kids and tell me how busy they are. <laughs> so what do you do when it's just the two of you and there's no kids around? You spend huge amount of time investing in each other. You don't even have to think about it. All your hormones are still raging. You've got no money. You've got nothing but time. But then you have kids. And, and kids age you. Kids are the reason you get old. And as you grow older, you have less energy and you've got so many more responsibilities. And what gets sacrificed? And the sad thing is, you don't even fight about it. You agree together to do this. You agree to this relationship. It's what life demands. And so you keep telling yourself, someday when the kids are older, we'll reconnect. But someday it keeps getting put off while you try to win the Parent of the Year award. If you're not very intentional about this, it's not going to happen. You need to sit down. And look at each other, and look at your schedules, and deal with this now. And let me tell you why this is critical. I begin to think about this every year around this time. In a couple of weeks, in about three weeks I think on Sunday morning, every year we honor graduates from our church, kids that are graduating high school. And um, some of you are going to watch your oldest walk up here, and some of you are going to watch your only and last child graduate. Congratulations. God bless all of you who have done a wonderful job and invested and been involved in your kids. But but here's my concern. My concern is the number of married couples who will send their kids off to college or their careers next fall and then and then look and realize you're married to a stranger. 20 years have gone by. 20 years where you've invested all of your time and prioritized your kids and, and all of your time into your work and into your civic commitments and, and your whole relationship really has become a parenting co-op. All you've ever talked about is who takes the kids here this day and who picks the kids up here that day and who's going to be here for this game and, and, and you haven't really had a conversation about what you think about one another or what your dreams are for years. You don't even know how to relate to one another anymore. And so I'm going to risk saying, saying this to you. Of course we ought to love our children. And of course we ought to pour our lives into them and give them all that we can that's good for them. But I'm going to say that the best gift that you can give your children is to love the person that you're married to intensely. The best gift that you can give your children is to let them see a healthy lifelong, growing, intimate relationship between a man and a woman. I, I grew up in a home with a father who's really, you know, he's, he's very affectionate, physically affectionate, he, and he loved my mom. And, and he would do this. He would come home and mom would be working in the kitchen. And, and especially he would do it if one of us kids was standing around because I think he enjoyed the reaction. He would sneak up behind her and grab her. And then he'd start kissing her on the neck and say things that fathers should not say to mothers in front of their children. And and it was gross. It was gross. Have you ever had that reaction? Like, oh, oh," you know, and, and, uh, but I, but, and I saw that happen and I hated seeing it, but here's something that it did to me. After counseling, I got to this. I, um, I knew that my dad loved my mom, I knew it. I knew that my dad wasn't going anywhere. And, and seeing that and feeling that meant more to my heart than all of the basketball teams he coached for me and, and all, of the, all of the games he came to. It taught, me, it taught me that the most important things in life were not trophies and not medals hung around my neck at graduation or scholarships that I might have won. It was knowing that those two would always be together. That there would always be a home for me to go back to. That there would always be some place where there were two people who could show me how to love one another. Just that was the most important thing that they ever gave to me. I want to try and offer you some practical advice on leaving good things in order to prioritize your marriage relationship. And, and I, whenever I do premarital counseling with folks, one of the things I make them do is you've got to start... Have, this is real practical stuff. This is just nuts and bolts stuff here, folks. You need to start having a marriage staff meeting, at least at least on a monthly basis, if not more often. For the first several years that you're married, you need to do this. You'll get to where it's, it comes kind of naturally to you. But early on, you've got to do this. And here's why. Again, when I'm in premarital counseling with people, on the first or second session, I'll tell, you, I'll tell them, let me tell you the first three things you're going to fight about. And you'll fight about these three things, if not on the honeymoon, within the first month, you're going to fight about these three things. Money, sex, and your in-laws. You're going to fight about those three issues. And I know this sounds so awful and un- uncomfortable, but you've got to talk about all three of those things in your marriage staff meeting. You've got to come up with a plan together about how you're going to deal with money, how you're going to deal with your in laws, and even the other one sex. Can we say that in church? You need to talk about how you're going to make this work. Now, I know some, what do you mean? We do to talk about sex. Sex is supposed to just happen. You know, I come home from work and I, she notices me. I walk in in my baggy Wranglers and my T-shirt. Bam! She can't control herself. She's all over me. That's the way it's supposed to work. You don't schedule passion. Well, okay. Good luck with that. I mean, me. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe you know something that 99% of us other husbands in the world haven't figured out yet. But I have a feeling you're going to be very lonely and frustrated in your marriage relationship. So yeah, you've got to talk about this. You have to make a plan. Make a plan. But let's move on because I feel like I'm getting in trouble. <laughs> plan for your family interactions. No accident that Moses concentrated on mother and father in-laws are a problem. Because in-laws have expectations. As soon as you get married, you become the couple in demand at every family gathering. And then when you have the grandbabies, oh my goodness, your in-laws have expectations. And those are going to get intense. So you'd better talk about Thanksgiving and Christmas together before mother-in-law does. Because I promise you, she will call. Hey, just wanted to let you know, we bought a 25-pound turkey, so there's plenty for you and the kids. Is this all right? I mean, I'm, I know I'm not conjugating the Greek for you folks, but this is pretty practical stuff. Here's another one. You guys, you, you guys got to start relaxing together on purpose. What do you do together that makes you laugh with one another? What do you enjoy with one another? What is it that you do together that you enjoy together? You're going to have to figure this out. Good stuff rarely happens spontaneously. I know that that cuts against everything that you've been brainwashed to believe, but good stuff rarely happens spontaneously. Let me give you one more. Remember that no is a complete sentence. You don't have to be involved in everything that people want you to be involved in or everything that your interior guilt motivation drives you to be involved in. So, let me end with this then. The second directive that God gives to us is cleave. And that's a word of passion. And what it means is you have to pursue the person you're married to passionately. Again, the New International Version says we're united, but that doesn't capture the passion of the word cleave. And what's funny about the word cleave is it has two definitions, and they sound opposite to one another. You can cleave wood, which means to separate things violently, or you can cleave together, which means to unite with someone passionately. They sound like opposites, but really, both of them have to be happening at the same time. And the point is passion. Passion. Cleave is a verb. denotes action that you take. It's an intentional pursuit of someone. Passionately pursuing someone. So, there was a marriage counselor who was holding a seminar at a local church, and what he was trying to get across was um, how often the church tends to neglect the whole romantic passionate sexual side of a marriage relationship and how we focus on church stuff but we don't talk about that kind of stuff and he said i'll tell you what i'll teach you the lesson we're going to pay, play a word association game i'm going to say one word and you're going to tell me a hymn that you sing that relates to that word okay everybody's in so he said the word blood and immediately 25 percent of the church said power in the blood and then he said okay grace and the whole church shouted out amazing grace and then he said the word cross. And again, the whole church says, the old rugged cross. And then he shouted out the word sex. And it got real quiet. And then one 90-year-old man on the second row said, precious memories. <laughs> and I'm glad you laughed at that, because I thought it was funny. but But there's something sad about it too, because... In every marriage, there was some reason that you fell in love. I mean, there was something that caught your eye. There was something romantic and passionate that brought you together. What happened to you between the time you said, this is the person I want to spend my life with, to I'm not sure that I love them anymore? Life happens. Sin happens. We get distracted. We start getting selfish. She doesn't do this anymore. He doesn't do that anymore poof one day you wake up and things aren't what they used to be so here's the principle if you want what you used to have you got to do what you used to do if you want what you used to have you got to do what you used to do and let me show you something and I, I forgot to put this in the slides but in the book of revelation god jesus is having a conversation with the church at laodicea and he's scolding them because he says, you've left your first love. You've lost your passion for me. You don't pursue me like you used to. So here was the remedy. He said, repent and do your first works over again. The first step is repent. And then he says, do your first works over again. Don't sit around and wait for till you feel like it. Jesus is looking at a bunch of people who are committed and dutiful and faithful, but they weren't passionate about Him. And that sounds like our marriage relationships. And I think the principle transfers. We can't sit around and pray hard for God to make me fall in love with my husband again. Some of you are trying that. Lord, please make me fall in love with my wife again. Please make me fall in love with my husband again. You can't, you can't wait for these romantic feelings to come. You have to act. You've got to do something. Jesus says, do your first works over again. Do what you used to do in your marriage relationship. Begin to pursue one another again. Do you remember? Do you remember how you would love to talk for a long time? Do you remember daydreaming about what your life would be once you were together? Do you remember uh, writing notes or sending texts just for no apparent reason? Like, I'm thinking about you. Do you remember just buying flowers because you saw them and thought of the person that you were married to? These are not difficult things. They're just hard to remember. It begins today. If you want what you used to have, do what you used to do. Maybe today, gentlemen, you could open the car door for her. Rather than sitting in the truck blowing the horn and saying, Are you getting in sometime today? Maybe today that could be different. Ladies, maybe on the way home you could spend some time daydreaming about an adventure you could take and not spending the whole ride home complaining about all the stuff that needs to be fixed and paid for at the house. And by the way, somebody said this to me after the 9 o'clock service, and I thought it was a good point. When you're just going on and on about all the stuff that needs to be fixed, and he's just staring straight ahead, and you say, What are you thinking? And he says, Nothing. It's true. He's not thinking anything. We are capable of thinking nothing, and we're good at it. Come on, guys. I'm telling the truth. He's not putting you off. He's not trying to stay out of the conversation, ladies. Come on, guys. I'm going to bat for you here. He's really not being a snob. We don't think about things. Stop thinking there's some sort of conspiracy to keep you out of His life. He has no life. You are His life. (laughs) Here's another one, folks. And then, after you start working on this stuff, you might ask God to remind you what it was that made you fall in love with Him the day He brought um, your attention to them. What it was that captured your heart and how you can give one another the best that you have rather than what's left over. You know, I, I don't, as I read this, I, I wanted to close with this. Marriage is the most sanctifying human relationship you can have. Sanctification is about holiness. And God's people are called to be holy. Holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. And the problem that we have with that is that in the church, we've boiled holiness down to rules. Don't do this. Don't do that. It isn't about rules. It's about relationship. You only grow holy in relationships. So let this sink in. God placed you in marriage because in marriage, you learn how to love someone and pursue someone forever. No matter what. You keep your promise to someone. After your heart's broken. You go through disappointments with somebody. If you can pursue and passionately love one person for your whole life, that's holiness. Marriage is the most sanctifying relationship God can give to us. This person that you're married to, they're not there to make you happy. Marriage isn't about your happiness. They're there to make you holy. But the weird truth about it all is this. If you start pursuing that, you'll find out that it is actually the best way that you can spend your life. Why don't you all pray with me? It really is true, Father, that everything kind of boils down to whether we can be trusted to keep our word. And there's not a law or legislation or action that can be taken that changes that. We need all of the help that we can get, Lord, but in the end, it still comes to that. So here's our prayer. Every one of us chose to unite with somebody because we were in love we need you to help us to know how to keep it that way. We've been talking about all of this stuff because all of the truth wars against the lies that we've believed that are so seductive and charming. But all of them detract us from what you offered us when you brought us into the marriage relationship. So today, strengthen our resolve. Today, Father, I pray, and this may not sound like much, but it's so huge that you might help a husband know how to pursue his wife again. Or one wife make one decision this week that might make the husband she's married to feel valued. Just small steps. God help us to stop looking for complicated answers to these profound problems. If there's one, even as we've sat here, if we thought of one practical action that we can take when we go home, help us to do it. And Father, I'm praying that you'll keep people together. Give us the strength by Your Spirit to keep our promises, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Stand with me, folks. Let's worship.